Life is an adventure, but just because I love beach barbecues in the fall doesn't mean I have to miss out on college football. Enter Dish Tailgater Pro Portable Satellite Antenna, which lets me watch live news, sports, and entertainment in HD anywhere in the continental United States. So whether you fish or hunt or RV or tailgate or just lay at the beach like a lazy bum like me, it's TV as flexible as your travel plans. Visit dishoutdoors.com for more and stay tuned for a very special offer coming up. So many rivers to cross. Welcome to A Fork on the Road. I am travel guru Mark DiCarlo. And next to me is the lovely and talented and tan Yenny Alvarez, the traveling diva. <laughs> Welcome to our show. We are mm, hip deep. In uh, season five of our show, last week we had Big Bad Voodoo Daddy on. We've gotten a lot of great response from that show. Uh, glad to see those guys are still out on the road. And this week we have an incredibly special guest, five-time Grammy-nominated, 20-times Blues Music Award winning. She is the current reigning Texas blues artist. Oh, are there any good Texas blues artists from the past that you can think of, baby? Oh, my goodness. Any that just to the off the top of your head? Stevie Ray Vaughan? Yes. How about Albert <laughs> Collins? Yes. How about T-Bone Walker? Yes. How about Delbert McClinton? Yes. How about Jimmy Vaughn? Sure. All right. Lots of great blues. you got to name more women. Well, Marshall right. and who else? Uh, Luann Barton was great. Big Mama Thornton. I think she was from Texas. Texas Susie. You know Texas Susie, right? Yeah. I just made her up. You don't know <laughs> shit. Baby, we've been together 10 years. you got to start learning about the blues. I can hear two notes, and I can tell you if it's Eric Clapton or B.B. King or Albert Collins or Stevie Ray Vaughan or Derek Trucks. Listen, I just danced to it. I don't need to know where it comes from. Go, oh. go, do the show. See, this is the stuff about marriage they don't tell you. Callate, do the show. We're glad to have you joining us again and glad to have a whole raft of new sponsors with us this year. We have Cancun Cards. You can go to Cancun for less. For more information on that, you can go to our website at ForkOnTheRoad.com and follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Mark DeCarlo on Twitter, Mark DiCarlo TV on Instagram. Uh, we send out codes and uh, things where you can win trips and get discounts on amazing Cancun travel. The good folks at Dish TV and their Dish Tailgater Pro and the World Nomads Podcast. Why would we promote another podcast on our podcast? Because they're good. Uh, or better. Let's be honest. Whether you're craving some authentic pad thai in Bangkok or you want to check thai. out the food scene in London or you're going in search of a legendary sandwich that will make you weep, food is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, motivation for travel. Which is why this episode of A Fork on the Road is sponsored by none other than World Nomads, the global travel lifestyle and insurance brand for independent adventure travelers. Yes. So if you're eating weird sandwiches, you just might need traveler's insurance, if you know what I mean. Can you have you ever wept from a sandwich? I wept from a soup. You probably wept from chili. No, it was a mushroom soup in that monastery on top of a mountain in Tuscany. Oh yeah, that was great. Uh, what was that? Losteria something. Osteria di Passignano. See, si, it was fantastic. And speaking of Italy, according to World Nomads, there's a shop in Sicily where they make a sandwich so good it's gonna make you cry with joy. Well, we're going to Italy in September and doing some shows from there, so we'll see. We will find that place, and we will see if it could actually make you cry. I'm going to see a sandwich that makes you cry. All right. Well, you can learn more about sandwiches that make you cry by tuning into the World Nomads podcast. Hear about great destinations and the amazing nomads who continue to explore those places, bringing us their personal stories of the people they meet, the places they've seen, and the food they've tasted. 
That's the World Nomads Podcast. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Or just go to their site, worldnomads.com slash podcasts. But right now, you are on the A Fork on the Road podcast, and you are here on a good episode. And we're not going to make you cry, but we're going to make you very, very happy when you hear what we have for you. Long, tall Marsha Ball. She's an amazing performer. She uh, She's powerful. She's She makes you want to jump up and dance. Right. And like you were saying a minute ago, there are not a lot of big, historically, let's say, I don't want to get any crap from people listening. And you will. You'll get crap from me. Historically, there have been more men mm-hmm. famous sure. in the blues. However, right now, there's a bumper crop. Teresa James, Susan Tedeschi, Bonnie Raitt, and I think sitting on top of that hill is Marsha Ball. She's an amazing piano player. She's been traveling the world for 50 years. She knows more about travel and eating and music than you and your whole damn family. So let's meet. Long tall, Marsha Ball. So many rivers to cross. We're talking to musicians and comedians who travel for a living about places they look forward to going, delicious places they look forward to eating, and all the strange people they meet along the road. Here at A Fork on the Road, we believe that no one knows more about our country than the entertainers who crisscross it, entertaining us while being entertained by us. And today, we are talking to long, tall Marsha Ball. She's been making music on the road since vinyl was king. Born in Louisiana, she's now a citizen of the world after 50 years on the road. And as the 2018 Texas State Musician of the Year, she brings her clever writing and the Barrel House Louisiana piano to boogie-starved audiences all over the world. She's got 10 Blues Music Awards, 10 Living Blues Awards, five Grammy nominations, and a recipe for emergency chicken gumbo. Marsha Ball, welcome to A Fork on the Road. Thank you, Mark. Happy to be here. We're really thrilled to have you here. You're a fantastic live performer. Uh, we just saw you at the uh, Jazz Fest in New Orleans a couple weeks back, and you uh, you blew the roof off the place. Thanks. It was a beautiful day, I thought, too. Yeah. Yeah, the weather was really good this year. I think for we've been to a lot of festivals around the country, and for my money, uh, you would know better than me, obviously. I think it's the best party in America every year. They just do everything well. Yes, they do. All in the city at the festival, and and the whole thing is great. Uh, people who I know don't say after the festival, where are you going to go? Who are you going to see? It's where you're going to eat. Exactly. And we're going to talk to you a lot about that because I know that you are quite the foodie. Let's talk about your early music career first. Do you remember your first paying road gig? Well, I remember my first paying gig besides playing prisons uh, in Louisiana while I was still a student at uh, LSU. Um, <laughs> what was that like? It was. It had to be weird. I was like 17 years old and tall and skinny and um, and I just finally opened my mouth to sing and, and this folk singer recruited me to go play and sing harmony with her. So we went to, actually we went to St. Gabriel, which is, uh, I later wrote a song about St. Gabriel, the women's prison uh, in Louisiana. You were two young women playing in prisons? Yeah, women's prison. Yeah. Uh, what what was that like, especially at such a young age? Well, I tell you what, it's an object lesson. It, it's a don't do this sort of a lesson. Although it didn't really affect our behavior that much. You know, you could get life in prison for a joint in uh, Louisiana at that time and 
you know, there were still hippies out there floating around listening to good music. And Isn't that crazy? One joint and you're in prison. Well, it still happens. It still happens in small towns in Texas oh, right now. Oh, man. Do you remember the first time you heard yourself in public on the radio? Like you were just out and about and you heard one of your tunes playing? First time? Well, not specifically, but uh, it still kind of catches me. <laughs> it still is a, a, a kind of a, a little bit of a free song happens when I when I hear that. So um, I'm surprised. I do remember uh, the first, uh, when I wanted to be on the radio so badly, and we made our first little record, a 45 at that time. Mm-hmm mentioned vinyl and this was what you did and then you took it around to the radio stations like Loretta Lynn and do in the movie and um, asked them if they play it and you took it to the nightclubs around your town and if you traveled and asked them to put them on the jukebox and and so that's what we did and so my first record got played by uh, two radio stations one was um, KOKE FM in Austin which was a groundbreaking um open format FM radio station. This would have been in 1975. Mm-hmm. And the other was uh, KFAT in, in Gilroy, California, uh, the garlic capital. Yes. <laughs> what is it about uh, Austin? I know. Uh, tell the story about how you ended up in Austin. I think it's kind of funny. Because you well, grew up in Louisiana, right? Yes. I grew up in Louisiana and uh, went to LSU briefly and lived in Baton Rouge and started playing music and got married. And we knew we weren't going to stay in Baton Rouge. And the band I had been in in Baton Rouge had two guitar players. One moved to Austin and one moved to San Francisco. And so we um, left Austin, left Baton Rouge. We left Baton Rouge in our Austin Healy Sprite with everything we owned. And... Uh, stopped in Austin to visit and we did need car repair work. This mm-hmm. is probably the electrical, uh, was, uh, ailing. And in three days, by the time, um, uh, we could get back on the road, we didn't want to get back on the road. What and, is it about Austin for people that haven't been there, especially in Texas? It's like another world compared to the well, rest of Texas. Don't you think my generation around the 68 to 72, um, all the guitar players out of Dallas moved here. Derek O'Brien and Denny Freeman and Jimmy and Stevie Vaughn. Mm-hmm. Uh, the songwriters came from Lubbock, Butch Hancock and Joe Ely and and uh, Jimmy Gilmore. Um, this uh, Angela Straley came here. Luann came from Fort Worth. Delbert was hanging out here. Doug Somm, who had an unerring sense of where the hip place was, was here from San Antonio, and he'd been in California. Um, but it just was that time and uh, and that generation. We all just moved here, and, and it exploded in creativity. And and the clubs opened. The Armadillo opened. Um, then Soap Creek Saloon. Then Antones and all the other clubs that were around the one night and Bevos and everything. We just had all these places to play. Beautiful waters to to soak in if you got hot. And as Eddie Wilson from the Armadillo said, a lot of cold beer and cheap pot. <laughs> And 
were you all kind of jumping and playing with each other at night? Would you sit in with other people? It sounds like it was almost like the hate Ashbury in San Francisco or London with the Beatles and Monty Python all working together, just like critical mass of creativity. Yes, it was definitely like that. I was playing in a in a country band, a progressive country band, you know, based on kind of the birds um, and the band and people mm-hmm. like just. But we did real traditional country music. And Doug Somm was hanging around with us, and he took me over to meet Angela Straley, who I'd never met. And she was, you know, never singing anything but the blues. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but then she wrote this wonderful country song, which I ended up recording. Uh, and, and Austin is still that way. The the Carolina Songbirds, the uh, uh, Uncle Waltz Band, those guys uh, met the West Texas songwriters. Um and then the uh, Dallas guitar players are playing with them, and the horn players are, are all here from San Antonio and Houston and the East Coast. And everybody hangs out, and we still do. What would you make for a night playing a club back then? Do you recall? Well, I remember that at the split rail, never there was uh, no cover at the split rail and, and dollar pitchers of beer. Uh, we made $45 and passed pass the hat. That's not bad, living the life. I mean, here's what the sad part is, is that there are still clubs in Austin that you can make $45 and pass the hat. Wow. Uh, right now, you know, the state of the music business is such that people don't want to pay for it. They, they'll go watch it, but they don't want to pay for it. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of my friends uh, that are musicians say they make, now they're making the lion's share of their money from the actual touring, not so much from the records anymore. Oh, yeah, that you don't make any money on, on the spins, on people listening. I wish there was some way, and I, I think I've heard of this, something called tip jar or something like that, where you could be listening to this stuff, watching YouTube videos or something, and hit tip jar and send them a buck. Send them $5. You know, hey, I've just been listening to this guy for two hours. Maybe I'll put $10 in the tip jar. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times people minimize the effect that music has on people's lives. You know, it can change your mood instantly. It's the backdrop for your life. You're rolling down the road. You've got the music on. It's a it's an integral part of at least people that are into music. It's an integral part of our lives. And I think you got to realize that to keep that going, people like you have to eat. Right. Imagine, imagine the silence. Yeah. Imagine in restaurants and tire stores mm-hmm. and in your uh, in a movie. Uh, imagine the silence if people just quit composing music because they couldn't make a living at it. Right. You don't think about it. But I remember in the days immediately following 9-11 when there were no planes in the air, you'd walk outside yeah. and it was freaky. Yeah. Right. You didn't even like you don't even notice planes every day now. But those few first few days, it was just so unsettling. I think it would be even more uh, without music. Let's talk about being a woman in this business. I know one of your early records uh, with uh, Luann Barton and Angela Straley, the three of you. Was that an incredible oddity to have three headlining women? Uh, I, I don't I can't think of any other big time female piano players. Is that a big deal or is that just a stupid question? Oh. I I knew I had mentors. Uh, unfortunately, I came a, a little late to knowing um, Katie Webster mm-hmm. uh, and Carol Fran, but they're both Louisiana women who play piano. Carol Fran was Guitar Slim's band leader for a while from from a very young age, and wow. Katie Webster was uh, exactly who I wanted to grow up to be. But I didn't <laughs> meet her until I was probably in my thirties or 
or beyond. She had moved to California, but they were great mentors for me. Um, but you, know, I, I don't know what uh, chronological uh, event came first because, you know, remember uh, Linda Ronstadt and Dolly Parton and uh, Amy Lou Harris doing that beautiful uh, trio record that they did, which I think might have been called Trio. Mm-hmm. That was that was beautiful, and um, but what happened with Angela and Luann and I was that we were all playing at Anton's club, and often we would play consecutively on the same night, uh, or wow. any two of us with our bands would play on the same night. And Angela and I started talking about it first that well, if we're going to be here side by side, maybe we should learn to sing something together. And we learned a, a few songs together, and. Um, and then Clifford Antone, who founded the club and then a record label, offered us basically carte blanche to to record and then recruited Dr. John to produce it. Wow. That must yeah. have been a thrill as a piano player, right? As a piano player, as a person. You know, he's <laughs> as a human. Yeah. Yeah. Who are, always- besides uh, Mac, who are your piano heroes? Well, um, my style is probably probably owes more to Professor Longhair mm-hmm. than uh, than anybody out of and, and Fats Domino and Little Richard and Jerry Lee and Ray Charles and I, this is what I grew up with and these were the big stars in the fifties and they were all piano players. So I grew up with an earful of music. Plus, if you want to add in the accordion as a keyboard, Clifton Chenier. Oh is, yeah. You know the most amazing innovator of um, of an entire style of music. Big, heavy left hands with most of those players. Yeah, uh, yeah, and and with me, I think because I grew up with my grandmother playing piano, playing like Tin Pan Alley, and trying to boogie woogie from the very first time I heard it. Um, my left hand just always was the driver. I love watching you when you're you're uh, gigging live because you'll start out and you you're kind of sussing out the first couple moments of the song and then your leg starts kicking and your left hand starts hammering and then people just start vibrating in the audience. That's got to be, I mean, can you feel that as that starts to roll through an audience? It, it's great when it works. And yes, I can. My mother at the Jazz Fest, you know, the other day, mm-hmm. I was watching the audience and wishing that she was there. She passed in 2014 and she just loved the Jazz Fest. And I would offer to put to get her backstage. She and my dad would would come, and uh, and they say, "No, we're going to go out in the audience." And I'd look down, and they'd be right down. They'd work their way right down to the front. But if she was on stage and she could see the crowd, she called it the bounce, and she said the bounce went all the way to the back. Yeah. So yeah. I was the bounce. Yeah, it's it's an amazing thing to watch. I've been both backstage and in the crowd at the jazz festival, and I think it's. It's more fun to be out in the crowd. We were watching um, Galactic with uh, John Papa Gross, and he was just standing there in his big hat, bouncing up and down. Yeah. It's it's for pe- for people that haven't been. If you're a music fan and you haven't been to the Jazz Fest, what would you tell people? Um. Well, it's not who you think you're going to see. Right. It's not, it's not the top of the card by any means. In fact, I avoid that end of the fairgrounds wherever. And more and more, you know, they're getting national uh, acts on, on those stages. It's 
the guy at the Fatal Dose stage, it's uh, John Mooney in the Blues Tent. Mm-hmm. It's Bonsoir on the Fado Do stage. It's um, whoever's in the in the jazz tent or the Lanyap tent or the gospel tent. Uh, and it's who you hear as you're walking to where you think you're going. And something catches your ear and you drift into some place that you know. That's how I discovered uh, R.L. Burnside. Oh, Trying to leave, you know, and I'm and I'm hearing this music, and I'm thinking, hell, Slim Harpo's still alive. <laughs> I went in there, and there was R.L. Burnside. This this was my 25th jazz fest in a row this past year. Congratulations! And, oh my God, it's my favorite thing to do every year. And we brought with us. We have a group that goes, and we brought two people with us who had never been before and they were asking us all these questions how do you do I want to see this person this person and I I basically told them what you said get in get yourself some crawfish sack or, or you know crawfish Monica get an iced coffee and just walk around and you will it's like a magnet you hear something and it sucks you in yeah someone that you've never uh, I heard that's how I met or that's how I heard uh, Charles Bradley May yeah. rest in peace a couple of years ago. I hear this noise coming out of the blues tent. I, I, it, it was like, what What the hell is going on? He was an amazing performer that I had ne- you know, I, I know a lot about music. I had never heard of him before. Right. And he was amazing. I saw, um, I saw Stevie Ray Vaughan many times uh, uh, back in the day. And I remember... Uh, several, just a few months before he died, he was playing a gig out here in California, and it was a it was a daytime outdoor festival gig, and there were a lot of like industry people there, and he's jamming away playing, and everyone is up and boogieing, except there was one blonde lady in the front row who was sitting there with her boyfriend, just staring at him like she was in church, and he got he got to the solo in. Um, I think it was either tightrope or crossfire and he's playing along and he starts and I see him see the one person out of 15,000 that aren't bouncing up and down with the bounce. And he looks over to Tommy Shannon, his bass player, and he nods. He walks to the edge of the stage. He stood right in front of her and just drilled into her with his eyes jamming until she like exploded. She jumped up in the air and started waving her arms and legs. And then he turned around to Tommy. He was like, yeah, baby, I still got it. <laughs> do you I mean can you do that to people talk to me about the transformational power of what you do well that ability for one thing the uh, the um, flexibility of, of being able to like Delbert does it Willie Nelson does it you know they, they're walking they can walk up to the edge of the stage with their guitar or their microphone and just kind of look at you till you do and those guys those three that that we're talking about are masters mm. of making people each person in the audience feel like they're singing right to them yes and um, you know they can they just flirt wholesale <laughs> uh, shamelessly uh, shamelessly that's right and I'm I'm a little more you know reserved because there I am kind of tied to my keyboard and 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 still I still work at at it you know at uh, basically I try to deliver the song with as much sincerity and energy as as I can and um, and put it over 
to people and, and hopefully I'm delivering a message that people either want or can deal with. Sometimes lately I just give it what, give it whether they want it or not. <laughs> uh, but, um, well, let's talk about that sincerity. You've written so many records. Where does the... Where does the material come from? Does it come completely out of your imagination? Does it come from uh, people that you meet on the road? Because I, I think musicians and comedians who tour for a living, you meet, you, you, I think you know so much more about the country than people who work a regular job. How do you take those experiences and digest them into your art, into your point of view and your music? Well, storytelling is a, a huge part of it. Um, James McMurtry said, somebody asked him if all of his songs were autobiographical, and he said, well, that would be a short and boring record. So, <laughs> and, you know, so it's, it, it is so to a certain extent, although, you know, I, I, I'm an eavesdropper, and so I take uh, lines from wherever they come, and, and whoever says it, I write, if I write it down, it's mine. Mm -hmm. And... Um, we uh, we all uh, share our stories that way, and then sometimes it's just pure storytelling out of thin air. Um, that uh, I say about the tattooed lady and the alligator man. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure where that story came from. I don't know exactly who those people are, except that it's like they came up and knocked on my door, you know, and said hi. You know, I'm the tattooed lady in this alligator man. And um, and I just told their story. You heard, did you hear someone say, I want to play with your poodle? Let Me Play With Your Poodle is a song that was written by Hudson Whitaker, also known as Pampa Red, in the 30s. And Really? Yeah, and I got it off of a Lightning Hopkins record. So it's an old song. And I did it as much to prove that, you know, if you can say, let me play with your poodle, uh, in the 30s, you know, then you ought to be able to say it in the 90s. So, well, it's a, it's a clever way to talk about sex. You know, it's like B.B. King, uh, Sweet Little Angel. Oh, uh, there's a lot of lot of things I could name. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and it was really rampant, you know, the 78s that you can find. Um, I have a friend who played a, a record by a woman, and it's not coming to me, who was on, on his NPR blues show a few months ago and without listening to it beforehand. And mm -hmm. he was uh, he was uh, off the air for about three weeks. <laughs> really? <laughs> because it was so so blue it was so lewd what's your favorite song that you've written based on something real that happened to you do you have a favorite well i mentioned earlier saint gabriel and um that is on one end of the spectrum um i went to a, a women's prison this was much after much later than the original pokey days um a friend of mine in kansas a newspaper reporter who was also involved with um, the Blues Society in Wichita and is very much a blues uh, or a music fan, uh, had written a story about a woman who was in prison for killing her husband after uh, um, years of, of spousal abuse and essentially in self-defense. Mm -hmm. But uh, she ended up going to jail and she was in jail for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And denied parole and her parole was coming up and he wrote about her and her story and and maybe had influence and you know we i don't know but ultimately she was released and before before she was released he, he took us my band and i at, to the prison and we played at, at that prison it's a women's prison not far from leavenworth and um that 
story, her story, I recast at the women's prison in Louisiana, St. Gabriel, about a woman who's in jail for, for that and gets released and then has nowhere to go. Of of all the stories I've I've known and heard and told. Then a lot of my other stuff, uh, like Mama's Cooking is one that, you know, it's very biographical. And, and, you know, you might start somewhere like I was on a sailboat in Mobile Bay when I wrote Mobile. Uh Um, I I always wanted to write a song about people who don't leave when, um, when there's a hurricane, um, and um, and then I saw this video of a guy who um, walked around in his house as Katrina is approaching on the Gulf Coast of Mississippi, filming everything like, you know, this is going to be his record of what he had, uh, except that he didn't leave. So his record was going to die with him had his house floated away like all the others around him, which lucky for him, it didn't. So I wrote a song called Ride It Out about uh-huh. a house. Would so, you would you consider yourself after these decades on the road? Are you a travel expert? I'm pretty good. Yeah, I'm pretty good at it. Del- Delbert says you, when you're traveling, you got to be conscious to soak up everything that's going around you. When you're looking at your schedule, what are the cities that you're excited to see that you're going back to? Well, not not to pander too much, but I like Chicago a lot. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Great place. Where, where do you you play City Winery there? Where do you play in Chicago? We play Fitzgerald's. Oh, that's right. It opened mm-hmm. since the very first year. Bill Fitzgerald came to me before, while we were playing at Wise Fool's Pub one night. Bill Stevie Goodman used to play there. Uh-huh. And John Prine. A big, big music scene there in the 70s. Yes. And Bill came to me and he said he was going to open a club out in the Burbs and he wanted me to you know know how to get in touch with me. So, And I said, yeah, right. And, <laughs> and you're there. You're there every Fourth of July right now, right? Aren't you? Yeah. Pretty much. Yes, it'll be. I think the first of July this year. Where do you eat when you're in Chicago? What's your, what's your, like if you're if you're in Chicago for two days, where do you have to go? This is odd because I'm a. I live in Austin, Texas, and, and um, you know I'm going to go eat Mexican food for lunch. But I really love Topo Labampo. Really. <laughs> That Mexican restaurant. Uh-huh. And yeah. then, I don't know, I don't get to, to do that too much in, in Chicago. You mentioned the city winery, and they have great food. They treat us nicely. Mm-hmm. And we used to be religious about Giordano's. Okay. And I, lo- I love um, uh, Greek Town. Oh, yeah. And before the foodie explosion, when, when you didn't have... Um, a thousand choices. So what we do is, you know, it's where do you get a vegetable on the road a lot of times. What are some other good food cities for you? And that you can get a piece of the most incredible lemon meringue pie in Carmine, Texas. That's what you have to, or Round Top, Texas, where, you know, the coconut cream pie is the best in the world, or or the barbecue at Cooper's in Lano. Mm-hmm. I remember when the Black Eyed Pea chain you know, if you were driving through Indianapolis and you saw a black-eyed pea, you got excited because there was going to be a vegetable. <laughs> when in Chicago, Marsha Ball recommends Rick Bayless restaurant Topolobampo for Mexican food, Greek town for Greek food, and city winery and Giordano's for authentic Chicago eats. When in Llano, Texas, check out Cooper's Barbecue. And don't forget New Orleans' own Willie Mae's Scotch House for the best fried chicken, according to Marsha Ball. You know what? I love traveling 
in an RV every once in a while. Uh, it's perfect for road tripping to Vegas or going to the Grand Canyon or driving up the high the coast Vegas, highway. Yes, uh, driving across the country would be fun if somebody else was driving. But just because you're out casting uh, for fish or hunting, whatever people <laughs> hunt to eat like venison or or hunting In and Out Burger franchises, doesn't mean that you have to miss out on your other favorite pastime college football. You know, That's after, what you do outdoors. Yeah. Well, after a long day of driving or fishing or or just uh, sleeping by the ocean, I can always count on the Dish Tailgater Pro portable satellite antenna to deliver my favorite entertainment. Now, here's why I love this thing. I can watch live news and sports anywhere in the continental U.S. in crystal clear HD. Even uh, You don't even have to be in a city. You could be on your boat. You could be tailgating. Uh, I could be up in a cabin in the woods writing a manifesto. It doesn't really matter. That means I can get you out on a boat? Me personally, no, uh, because uh, sharks eat people, and you can't uh, be eaten by a shark if you never go in the ocean. Uh, it's also very economical. You only pay for the months you use. Dish offers pay-as-you-go programming from thirty-four ninety-nine a month, and there's no contracts, there's no credit checks. You just activate. I know you love that. Yeah, well, I just activate my subscription during college football season or during hockey playoffs, and I turn it off when I'm done. <laughs> and there's no Wi-Fi required either. You can say goodbye to the constant buffering and searching for spotty Wi-Fi signals and other connectivity issues. Say goodbye forever. This actually hooks up to an actual satellite transmission. It's rugged. It's weatherproof. It weighs just eight pounds, which means you can get... Uh, Take it anywhere. Yes, haul it anywhere. You put it on top of your boat, you put it on the top of your RV, and then you just forget about it. And it's also very cool uh, when you see it in person, right? You've seen it. Yeah, it has a like a s- cool smoke dome cover, so you can see the satellite dish when it's moving around, searching for the signal. So it's kind of sci-fi-ish. It's almost like it's a, like the bat light is going to click on, <laughs> you know? It's crazy affordable. TV Outdoors doesn't have to be expensive. The Dish Tailgater Pro is one of the most affordable, portable satellite antennas in the market. Saved me over $1,000 versus comparable systems. And here's the best part. But you don't need to be a Dish subscriber. You don't need Dish at home to get Dish Outdoors. Oh, I know you love that. Call 1-833-TV-4-RV or visit dishoutdoors.com and use the promo code PRO50 at checkout to get $50 off your Tailgater Pro and Dish Receiver Bundle. Some restrictions may apply. Yeah, but who cares about the restrictions? You're going to be watching football in the middle of nowhere. It's the greatest. Do you find that uh, your your interests have changed as far as writing and your your process? I mean, do you sit down, you know, from 9 to 11 every morning and this is your writing time or it's 24/7 just when something pops in your head, you take a minute and you record it? I this is interesting. I live deep in my life. I have uh, That's a great uh, line. <laughs> I've had I've, I've have it all basically. I've had family and friends and um, social activity and you know activity that that is you know involved in my community and uh, and music and travel and writing and creativity and I've never been um, so focused. On any one of those aspects that I that I uh, that I that I've been monomaniacal, I guess is I'm not a monomaniac, as my friends uh, have said. I'm just um, 
I've, I've flowed along and, and seem to get everything done most of the time. <laughs> that well, that's the job of the writer, right? You, rule one is you got to live your life and then be conscious enough to recognize interesting things about it. And then you write about it. If you're not, if you're living in your house, what are you writing about? Uh, well, people do, and and there are people whose who, whose body of work is so incredible. They're, they're introspective. They they live a uh, considered life, um, and and they delve into that, and they create wonderful poetry, and uh, and that and that is one kind of creativity. Mm-hmm. And uh, but mine is more extroverted. I don't think I'm, I'm, I can be um, introspective, but um, I am actually more of a, of an overt storyteller. You're outliving your life. Yeah. (laughs) I'm a, I'm a guy, I'm a damn wordsmith. Can't you tell? (laughs) (laughs) I'm a damn writer. Damn it. Uh, What's your recipe for emergency chicken gumbo? What is the concept of emergency chicken gumbo as opposed to regular chicken gumbo? Well, first of all, it enters the fray about whether you can use a jar of roux Mm -hmm. or whether you have to stand at the pot and darken your oil and flour mixture until it's the color of a Hershey bar. Mm Mm-hmm. Pete, you can, you can buy that. roux? I didn't even know that you could buy roux. I thought you had to make it. No, dear. No, oh. dear. Lots of brands of, of jarred roux. And if you go to Lafayette and stand, as my brother did, in the post office line with a bunch of women, you'll find out that most of them are using roux in a jar, too, now. <gasps> Scandal. I know it is. And if you if it's not dark enough, it's plenty dark. It's darker than most people dare to make their own if they start from scratch. But if it's not dark enough for you, you can stand there another 10 minutes and heat it up some more. Mm-hmm. But it eliminates that first 20 minutes of, of work or more, depending on how careful you are about how hot your fire is, uh-huh. by opening a jar of roux and putting it in a pot. And then you add... All your vegetables that you cut up, and that's okra. your garlic, bell pepper. You can use celery if you want, but I don't. Okra, mm-hmm. which I don't usually. Um, you don't use okra? Not really, no. Okay. And if I do, I cut it up so small and add it in with the onions so that it goes away. It becomes just part of the broth rather than chunks of okra. Okay. So you start so, you start with the roux, then you move to the trinity, then you put in the okra. Well, yeah, I put it in with. Oh, okay. I put it in with the with the trinity, and then, um, but like I said, generally I don't. And then I use um, broth in a box, and I use Swanson's chicken broth, uh, natural chicken broth, which. Uh, Cooks Magazine, one of the one of the testing magazines called the most flavorful one. You can pay more, you can go fancier, but Swanson's was the one they recommended. Okay. So, um, put in a, a couple of boxes of uh, or three of uh, broth, and you have. I'm telling you, in the time, in less time than it takes you to make a roux, you can assemble all of that. And then I get rotisserie chicken. Which, uh, which is already cooked and seasoned. Uh huh. I just bone it in to the to the broth. Take it off the bone. Put the meat in there. My son makes it even faster than that. He takes the whole rotisserie chicken, puts it in the pot. Wow. 
Yeah, and you can pick the bones out later. That is the diametric opposite of how Buddy Guy does it. He takes six hours to make it back at his house, and and you know another Louisiana boy, and he do, he he does it completely differently. Yeah, no, uh, Terrence Simeon. I watched Terrence do it one time, and he, and he does it kind of upside down and backwards, and very time consuming and very patient. And you know you can do that, but I just don't see the point. And I'll put mine upside anybody's. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and I don't usually put sausage in it because it um, kind of often takes over flavor-wise. Yeah, it does. But sometimes a little piece of smoked duck mm. adds just that little extra smoky flavor. And I love, this is my favorite thing, I love to put oysters in a chicken gumbo. Ah. Is it kind of like a tofu where it kind of it soaks up the flavor of all the flavors around it, I would think, huh? The it's oysters. Like a little surprise package in there, you know. It's like, whoa, I found an oyster. <laughs> Speaking of surprises, you've yeah. been a, a, a incredibly prominent traveling musician for a long time. What's the most surprising thing you've learned about humanity, about people, since you've been on the road? Maybe, maybe an opinion that you had years ago that has now completely been transformed by. Your lifestyle and the people that you've met and and the experiences that you've had. Is there one Well, that's thing? kind of a, that's huge. Mm -hmm. Can I get another cup of coffee? You may. I know. <laughs> <laughs> how, how, how has your job transformed you in what you think is a positive way? Or just were you always spectacular? <laughs> uh, and I guess one thing I learned about myself is that if uh, that mostly when I uh, when I make a friend out there, a, a special woman friend, they tend to be teachers. Why do you think that is? I think because I'm probably supposed to be a teacher, although. Well, aren't you kind of? In a way, yes, but I'm really more like the librarian. It turns out I really don't want to be a disciplinarian. Which <laughs> you'd be a pretty funky librarian. <laughs> <laughs> librarian that's me <laughs> <laughs> last question all your friends that you're talking about what's the one song that they would say is the most you that you've written you know it's like you guys don't know marcia but this one song this is her this is her this is her mojo this is who she really is this is what she really thinks this is how joyful she is is there one tune that that yeah, you'd get a consensus yeah i think it's that's enough of that stuff <laughs> <laughs> which is not it's not what it sounds like it's a party song about new orleans it names a, a lot of my heroes and I always pictured it as uh being the soundtrack to a a, a Party, a jazz funeral party where the the uh, the guy in the box is Red Tyler, the sax player, who was alive when I when I recorded that song, and um, when I wrote it, and and you know they, everybody's filing into the house and they're viewing the casket and and typical New Orleans, you know, and the, with their they all have their umbrellas and everything, and when the solo starts, he raises up out of the box and starts playing the solo and climbs out and leads him you know, out the house, out of the house and down the street to Tipitina's. So that's, that would be, a, that's the me song probably. Oh, that's fantastic. That's the way to go. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us, uh, Marsha. Your, your new record, Shine Bright with Alligator Records out of Chicago, Illinois is doing great. Uh, you're touring all over the world. And uh, we thank you for sharing your insights about people and music and your incredible career. Can I tell you one thing that just happened this week? Please. 
Okay, they just announced on Monday that I'm going to be um, inducted, or as my husband said, injected into the Austin City Limits uh, Hall of Fame. Wow. With uh, Ray Charles and Los Lobos. Wow. Talk about that. that, That's like Yankee Stadium, right? That's Carnegie Hall. That and the fact that my six-year-old grandson learned how to swim this weekend are the two biggest things that's happened all week. Well, you are a great repository for Americana and the people and the stories that really uh, form the, the, the fabric of this country. Here's my last question. With everything that's going on in America today, with tribalism, and there's, it seems like there's two completely disconnected camps. Uh, who do you think is going to win in the long run? The, the, the things that are pulling us apart or the people that are trying to pull us together? What do you see when you're out there living my, your life uh, and doing your show? My new record is called Shine Bright because I'm hoping that people will. I mean, it's really that hopeful, and, um, and I'm encouraging people to to perform random aggressive acts of good. Mm-hmm. And the bottom line is we're all in this together. Whether we get along or not, we're not going to secede. We're not going to, we can't actually, if we could, I would like for the smart people to secede from the dumb people. But I think everybody thinks they're smart. Well, that's the problem. Yeah. Um, everyone so, has their own set of facts and everyone thinks everyone else is stupid. Right. Now, well, now you that, and I are correct, but that's beside the point. Years ago, I heard a woman, at, uh, ca- uh, the counter help in a convenience store say about the Weekly World News or one of those rags on the counter. I don't know if it's true, but I believe it. And that's where we uh, are right now. Facts really are facts. And until we, you know, until the grownups, until we get some grownups running the country and coming back to Actually, the few things I'd like to see are like ethics. Integrity would be something I think we could uh, could put back into practice. And because uh, right now we're living in a crazy, crazy world. I don't know if it's true, but I believe it. That sounds like that sounds like a Marsha Ball song to me. I know it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Marsha. You are a treasure, and uh, we really appreciate you spending time with us here on Fork in the Road. Continued success, and uh, keep that left hand pounding. Hope to see you down there somewhere. You absolutely will. Okay. Thank you so much for spending time with us. I really appreciate it, Marcia. Thank you. And congratulations on the Austin uh, City Limits thing. That's pretty freaking amazing. Tip of the day. Digital tip jar. If you're sitting around listening to free music and it stirs something inside, let the artists know you appreciate them by clicking on their digital tip jar, thus enabling them to keep making more wonderful music. We want to thank long, tall Marsha Ball for coming on a fork on the road today. She is, I believe, on our first time in New Orleans. I took you to the front of the stage for Marsha Ball's show. You did. Yeah. I do remember. Yeah. She was powerful and strong and fun and lively. And you just want to get up and dance and shout and sing along. And when she starts kicking her leg. Energized. She she sits with her legs crossed. And when she starts kicking that top leg when she's playing (laughs) her solo, you can't sit still. Uh, So thank you so much, Marsha. We will see you down the road. And... Um, interesting that she's been doing music for so long, 50 years. The whole music business has changed. This whole tip jar thing, I've had other musicians uh, tell me that, that it's a big uh, source of income for them, and it's a way for you to directly support your uh, favorite musician. So uh, I'm sure by now, if she wasn't before... Marsha's one of your favorite musicians. You can catch up with her at MarshaBall.com and follow her as she goes around the country. Oh, that was a delicious episode. (laughs) 
<laughs> Once again, we want to thank our sponsors, uh, the World Nomads Podcast, the Dish Tailgater Pro, CancunCards.com, and uh, the lovely and talented Marsha Ball. For Long, tall Marsha Ball. For kicking it for 50 years with no sign of stop. And thanks, Marsha. We will see you at a fork on the road. Thanks again to Dish for sponsoring today's episode. You probably heard by now that the Dish Tailgater Pro portable satellite antenna is one of my favorite pieces of gear. To experience the joy of HD TV outdoors for yourself and get $50 off your very own Tailgater Pro bundle, it's the one with the clear dome that looks super cool like the bat light, call 1-833-TV4RV or visit DishOutdoors.com and use promo code PRO50 at checkout. Some restrictions may apply. Yeah.